Okay, you crazy kids, I'm back. Yep, it's episode seven. And this episode, I sit down with a friend of mine named Dale Chumbly. I've known Dale probably about 17 years. Our kids actually went to school together, hung out, so they were friends. And it was funny that when they found out that Dale and I knew each other, they were like, how do you guys know each other? But we were still in the, we were in the same industry together. Dale was a real estate agent. At that time, I was teaching clock hour courses and working at a title company in Vancouver, Washington. And I thought, well, since I'm going to be in Vancouver, I need to schedule some podcasts with some friends of mine. So why did I pick Dale? Well, Dale started uh, being really, really overly active. <laughs> I don't know how Dale's going to appreciate that. Overly active in social media. And he was on Twitter. He was on MySpace. He was doing all those networks and really building his real estate business. But how he did it is really unique. Unlike a lot of realtors that go out there and they're all the time putting up something about their house that they've got listed or an open house that's coming up or talking about the market, Dell took a totally different approach. He opened up his everyday life. He talked about places he was eating, talked about things that he was doing, talked about things that were going on in the community. His whole goal was just build this community. And as a result, he got a lot of followers. And then from there, he started getting noticed by uh, on the national level. He started getting invited to speak at conferences for realtors, talking about technology and things of that nature. He's got an amazing story also. We're going to get into that. But uh, most of all, what we did was we just had a lot of laughs. It was a really good time. Hope you enjoy this. Dale Chumbly, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up. hear me now i so, sound pretty good in there you do well hello there. you do so in i'll thank you very question much. That, oh <laughs> I'll, there's medicine for that so far for high tech <laughs> there's right. medicine for that oh there's medicine for your limpness there we um, can get that fixed the question this, this is photo worthy yeah this is photo worthy so i'll make this our, our cover art this is awesome well the great thing is it didn't cost that much to get set up Seriously? Right. Like, this is legit. It looks it, doesn't it? <laughs> it well, I don't know about the part where I'm looking right now, but, like, pretty legit. Well, the microphones and stuff I found online, uh, the microphone, shock mount. Is that on the line? Yeah. Uh, uh, and the mic cord, those are $25 each, which is... Not the mic. Yeah. Shut yeah. up. No, it was on Walmart.com or something. And I thought, you know what? Seriously? Get a shitty mic. If it doesn't work... Dang, I blew that. I can get that, a better mic. That Yeti blue thing for like uh, it's like 149, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I got it on sale. But so still. what are you doing with the Yeti blue? <laughs> Just looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> Every so often I rub the end like this. <laughs> what was your plan with the Yeti blue? Or you podcasting? Just, oh, okay. It's this like idea that it'd be kind of fun to do some of this, but then the reality of like making it happen becomes a job. It's right. Like, oh crap! I don't know. Well, this is really cool. I'm what would your this. podcast be about? Vancouver. Vancouver. The community. Like the 365. The 365 things to do in Vancouver, Washington. Hey, that blew up for you. It was nuts. It still pays off to this day. Like, are we recording? I am. Right on. <laughs> are we on? <laughs> well, it's not streaming live, but we're recording. Um, it just was... <laughs> I'm telling you, man, there's medicine for that. Okay, folks, my microphone keeps dropping. That's what he's talking about. <laughs> 
He's having trouble. Keeping it erected. Mine is staying up just fine. <laughs> I'm older. Wait, Emma? I'm, I'm 48. I'm 48. Okay. January. June. I'm older. Well, you, I know January, you're right. <laughs> I guess what so calendar I are we going on? I 48 in January. <laughs> February, March, April, May, June. So you turned 48. You're not turning. I will be 49 in a All couple right. of months. How are you doing with that? I'm good with that. In fact, oh, I'm like, what's the date? It's 9-11, duh. Like, right. how did I? I forgot. But I did too. I'm not supposed to forget. Never forget. That's what we said. We, we'll never forget. I did too, and then everybody reminded you. The news reminds you. The radio reminds you. The pictures everywhere Where were you? Me. I was here in Vancouver. Um. You know, my wife and I were talking last night that, like, we all have these stories, and it's like, does everybody really care about my story? But, like, it, we all have, it's it's an amazing moment in time because we all have something that we can, that we locked in on that morning. And for me, I was selling real estate, but I was also at that time working for the county mm-hmm. and the assessor's office in the GIS department. And I was driving down Highway 14, and I heard on the radio, they were like, a plane crashed into you know, the World Trade Center in New York City. And I'm like, oh, crap. Like, my first thought is my brother lives in New York City. And I'd been to New York once back a few years earlier, but I didn't have any perspective on, I knew where his apartment was, but as far as his apartment to the World Trade Center, like, I had no concept of that distance or where it was. And so I just was, like, freaked. Like, oh, my gosh, my brother's there. Like, that was my first thing. So I remember running there was this guy, this maintenance guy for the county. I felt so bad. I actually apologized after the fact. But um, he was, like, standing outside the door to where we went into our office. And he's like, hey, Dale, how's it going? And I just blew past him. I'm like, get out of my way. Because I, I didn't have a cell phone. Like, right, Like, right. I had to go find a landline and find my brother's phone number and call to try and get a hold of him. Because I'm like, what's going on? Is he okay? And... Uh, and of course the lines are down like nothing's working so i can't get a hold of him so i'm trying to get a hold of my parents to find out if they've talked to him and this is silent and we've got the tvs turned on at this point and and trying to watch it on the internet was kind of i mean kind of iffy at that point so we had tvs that we were plugging in and firing up and uh you know and then we're starting to see the day unfold as we all know it happened and couldn't get my brother and and finally was able to hear through someone, my mom probably, that she had gotten a hold of him and he was okay. And it's like, okay, he's okay, but then there's the, you know, the thousands of people that aren't okay and the lives all over the world that are being rocked because of this moment. But yeah, you always like, there's that thing. There's that thing, that moment in time. I remember. Were you here? I was. I was living and I was working at Stewart Title, their Park Plaza. Mm hmm. Um, I was living in one of the duplexes in Battleground. Oh, no, not Battleground, the Cedars Golf Club. I was living uh-huh. in one of the duplexes at the Cedars Golf Club. And it, uh, the first one hit 9 Eastern time. So I'm getting up. Uh, that's going on. And I immediately went and woke my kids up. Yeah. And they were stay-at-home kids. Levi was probably about four then. Kayla was in kindergarten. Yeah. Not kindergarten, but whatever. No, kindergarten. And uh, we. so Levi wasn't four. Uh, he's probably about two. So we, I bring them out and set them down to watch this. Yeah. And because, well, does he have a vivid memory of it? No, uh, not from that day. I mean, that, that video has been played over ad nauseum. So he's, yeah. he's seen that video, but uh, to me, it was important to, 
they're there. They see this moment in, in, in history. It's like I explained to somebody on a previous podcast. How do you, how do you go back and watch the Hindenburg crash? I mean, this is literally that moment yeah. in time when you're yeah. sitting there watching. It was world changing. Change. It, it, literally changed the landscape of the world that we live in politically socioeconomically uh it's transportationally transportationally (laughs) do you remember the no airplanes were flying yeah yeah now for someone who lives out in the midwest or maybe where i live you don't get to see a lot of airlines go over for somebody who lives across the river from a major international airport Mm -hmm. that has an air national guard base that is running planes nonstop. And that's right. the only thing in the sky is those jets. F- 17s or 19s or 15s or whatever they are. Yeah. It's like, oh, it was real. I mean, it was it was a sombering moment to have because you're right. We grew up watching planes like our whole life is planes coming up and down the river. Right. Like that's just what they do. And it's gone. And it's gone. And it's silent except for the roar of those engines that were running on a constant hourly cycle like in back out in back out and it was uh and i guess for me the thing that i i i worried about which did come true was um the knee-jerk reaction of maybe going too far in our sense of trying to be safe we give up so much liberties we give up all this stuff and it's that concept well i'd rather be safe than sorry well no sometimes sorry is okay yeah uh so, you know, the fact that, you know, you go to the airport and you see some of the things. Well, here's an example. I went up to the Mariners baseball game Sunday. Mm-hmm. Even baseball changed. Oh, yeah. Because of this. When you say everything changed, yeah. it's not just getting on a freaking airplane. Yeah. Everything changed. Go up to the Mariners baseball game. I'm walking in. I got to go through security. Mm-hmm. I got a pocket knife on me. Uh-oh. What do they do? They have a trash can. I said, well, can I not just give it to you then collect it when I get back? Nope. He said, no, you got to throw it in the trash can. This is my dad's pocket knife, and he died a month ago. Or your other option is you can go to a car and drop it off in your car and then come back. Yeah, so I walked back to the car and dropped it off, which I felt bad because my son-in-law had the tickets digitally on his phone. Yeah. So me and my son-in-law and my daughter-in-law walked back But they totally got it. Totally. They, they yeah. totally understood. This is your dad's pocket knife. If this has been the pocket knife I was carrying prior to my dad passing, I, I didn't pay that much for it. I'd have tossed it. But yeah. it's not that this is a, this is my dad. It's a moment. Yeah. So, but even that changed. I mean, pre, prior to that, you could walk into a, a baseball game and carry a pocket knife. Who didn't carry a pocket knife when we were kids? We all did. Right. Yeah. As kids, yeah. I carried a pocket knife. Exactly. And it's just not... You never need it, but it was there, just well, in case. Well, occasionally you need it. You need it to open up a candy bar, so, you know. <laughs> tired of ripping the box off the Cracker Jacks. You know, you <laughs> need a pocket knife. Maybe if you want to do a little whittling or mm-hmm. or play stretch. Did you ever play stretch with a pocket knife? I don't remember that. This is my southern heritage. Uh, you and I would stand across from each other about arms length away from each other and you would take our pocket knives and unfold them and then I'd throw it near your foot. No, so we didn't play that. you'd have to reach that. your foot out to where the knife was and pick it up and you'd throw and yeah. I'd have to stretch mine out and it's so who could stretch out the farthest. Yeah, we didn't throw knives at each other's feet. A <laughs> <laughs> little more sophisticated than the Northwest, I'm thankful to say. <laughs> no. You only have nine toes, dude. What's up with that? <laughs> we didn't throw knives at each other's feet. 
<laughs> I guess it's a good thing I raised Levi here. We, uh, yeah, that's okay. We, we shot bottle rockets at, or not bottle rockets, uh, Roman candles at each other. Yeah, we did that. You know? We did that too. Um, first time I met you, uh, football field down next to Fort Vancouver. I think our kids are playing flag football. Oh, wow. That's been a while. Like that's been like 17 years. Probably, because uh, you had just started the blog. Oh, no, then that, that's not that long ago. Oh, because yeah. Andrew was, he was, maybe that was middle school. It was pre-middle school, like I think. Like 07? Maybe. Well, no, it had to be closer to, because I. That was pre-middle school. Yeah, it was pre-middle school, because I was an escrow officer in Camas at the time. So that was about 05, 06. I hadn't started that early. I didn't start, like, I got on social media and blogging and everything in well, you just like whenever it was, you just like started early I so that I started social media, like I was on MySpace, Twitter. MySpace was actually my first network. Right. Um, that was like 2007, but I didn't start the 365, 365 things to do in Vancouver until February of 2010. So if I had just started that, that was 2010. Well, it couldn't have been 2010 because I was out of real estate in 2008. Well, I started 365 Things to Do on February 17th of 2010. What were you doing? There was some way I knew you then. Oh, I, I was doing all you. kinds of social media stuff. But in 2007, 2006, yeah. 2007? I mean, I was, I, I was all over Facebook. I was all over MySpace. Right. I was all over Twitter. Tons of, I mean, we were doing a lot of tweet-ups back then, a lot of gatherings, get-togethers. I was doing meetups right. with people. Um, so I was organizing a lot of that stuff. And I was writing content. And I was writing content about Vancouver, but it wasn't officially 365 things to do until February. Well, I remember 10. looking over and thinking, hey, I know that guy. I mean, I'm going to introduce myself. So I'm going to introduce myself. Glad Which I did. Which is awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's so good to have you here. Like, this is cool. Well, I enjoy being back. I, I miss the Northwest. Um, I don't know if I want to live here again. I've been asked that a couple of times since I've been back. The winters are tough on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't know that for years. And... Uh, so maybe now that I'm more aware and I can manage it better with vitamin D, sun mm-hmm. tanning beds, stuff like that, I could probably do it. But yeah, some some low lights or whatever those are lights are in the house. The what are right. those called the lights are supposed to make you feel good. Yeah, yeah, happy lights, happy lights. But that's something for the Northwest. Like vitamin D deficiency is huge. I didn't. I thought seasonal affective disorder was one of those things that people. Uh, attached to themselves. You know, how many people you know that says, oh, I'm ADD. Have you ever been diagnosed ADD? Well, no. Yeah. But I'm ADD. No, you want to be diagnosed. You, you want a problem. So you're just going to own yeah. a problem. Uh, what it really is, is you're undisciplined. <laughs> <laughs> I like to be scattered and think about other things. Right. You know, you're undisciplined. You're not ADD. Go squirrel. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm sorry. What? Exactly. And so... Uh, that's how I felt seasonal affective disorder was. Yeah. It's and a little I'm, more legit than that. It's a little bit more legit. And I'm on a therapist couch and he's like, uh, okay, there's nothing like wrong, wrong with you. Have you had your blood work done? <laughs> well, no. How low was your vitamin D? It was critically low to the point that they gave me a, uh, they put me on a 50 IUs prescription, uh-huh. 50 IUs. And then after a couple months of that, they moved me over to just uh, over the counter. Yeah. But it wasn't just that. It was my B12 mm-hmm. was really low. So all these are mood enhancers. 
and um, then we go to Arizona for Mother's Day. This is when I was married. We go to Arizona for Mother's Day, and I'm just happy. I'm just happy. I'm not. I'm not like giddy happy, but nothing's making me mad. Yeah. And then we go to Tennessee. This is my 40th birthday, so this is in uh, 2000. We fly out there in Tennessee for my 40th birthday, and Chris, my mom, and my then wife get into the uh, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law bickering <laughs> thing right. that's going on. And um, my kids ask their mom the next day, what's wrong with dad? And they said, well, what do you mean what's wrong with that? Well, if we'd have been home, he would have blew up. He yeah. would have just lost it. And their mother said, this is your dad on sunshine. <laughs> it's a thing. Right. And that's when it solidified with me. So that's when I'm like, okay, I, I got to manage this. But even like last year in, in Tennessee, I uh, my work shift had changed where I was working a midnight shift. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was getting winter. Uh, I hadn't been eating properly. And I had a really, really dark, mm. dark weekend. Yeah. And places in my head that I haven't been in a long time. And I remember coming out of it or on Sunday afternoon thinking, what the hell is wrong with me? And I realized, okay, I've changed shifts. I'm not getting the daylight. I'm not doing this. I'm Okay. And then within a week, I was... You were kind of living in the Northwest. <clears throat> I was living in the Northwest and without any management. Yeah. And so I started being more hypervigilant about it. And... So I'm doing okay with that. Yeah, it's it's for real. Like my, it, it's interesting because my wife years ago she discovered you know she's from Seattle and she discovered she was critically vitamin D deficient and I think B12 also, mm-hmm. and it was a radical transformation in her world to understand that and to get her vitamin D levels really where they're supposed to be. So she's like the Pied Piper to that. Now with people talk about being depressed or lethargic and not having energy and just can't do things she's like you really should be and they think that it's always some big psychological some big psychological thing and it's like have you had your vitamin d checked they're like no i don't don't, it's one of those things we don't talk about in the northwest like get your vitamin d checked and it's a big deal and so often people come back after the fact and they're like thank you so much for telling me that I was super low. They got me, you know, cranking this high dose and getting it balanced to where it's supposed to be, and getting and and it it matters. It makes a big difference. Um, but I think understanding seasonal affective disorder and being able to manage to make sure your numbers are correct, getting yourself whatever sunlight you can, like you said, whether it's like the fake, you know, the tube lights that can help generate some of that sunshine for you if you are, you know, here. Because I mean, it, you know, we get gray. Well, even a tanning bed experience. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do that. Um, I don't know why my doctor didn't. I don't know why my therapist had to mention that to me. Yeah. It's not like I wasn't seeing my doctor. Yeah. I don't think they think about it as much. I, and I don't know why. I don't either. Why aren't you, when you're checking my blood work, and so now when you when I go and get my blood work, you have to specifically request those things because mm-hmm. it's not part of the normal panel. Yeah. It should be. It should be part of the and normal the Pacific panel. Northwest, it should be. It should <laughs> be. And I went in there, and I requested that. Well, it's funny. The last time I went in, and this was in Tennessee, I was requesting my blood panel. I'm going down those things. I said, I also want you to check my testosterone. And the guy's like, well, are you, are you, having, a, are you having a problem? <laughs> no, I'm not having a problem, and I don't want one to sneak up on me. Exactly. <laughs> You're already taking the blood. Check it. <laughs> check like, it. Whatever you, you got to do, like just check it. 
check that stuff. Have you ever had your testosterone checked? I have not. Okay, it comes back but with my microphone's still do, doing. <laughs> that's right. The microphone's still erect. Uh, it, the the range of what they get considered acceptable is like between four hundred. No, it's like two hundred and six hundred. If you're in that range between two hundred and six hundred, mm-hmm. whatever measurement units it is, it's okay. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty big damn range. Yeah, it is. Right. So I'm like, okay, where's a 25-year-old healthy male supposed to be? Yeah. Where's a 59-year-old healthy male supposed to be? Right. I, that's what I want to know. I don't want to know what you think is. What's oh, the range? What's yeah. the range? Uh, what's normal for my general age and And how do I get to that one that's higher? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how did yours end up? Yours was. 400. You're. Right in the sweet spot. Somewhere in that range, right? I ended up in the 400, so I'm not, it's nothing I'm worried about. It's certainly something that I think, well, maybe I could, the way everything I'm hearing, and I'm not a research scientist, everything I'm hearing as far as increasing it is, one's a healthy diet, rest, and lift heavy things. Mm. You know, do do manly shit. (laughs) CrossFit. (laughs) Right. CrossFit. CrossFit. How are you still doing that? I am. It's five years. Five years. Yeah, it's crazy. It's been five years. I was there Kay. this morning. Is it a cult? No. I mean, if if a group of passionate people that care about something and want to encourage one another to be better is a cult, then yes, absolutely, it's a right, cult. Right, right, right. Um, well, I've heard some know, people not being mean, saying it in a mean way, but I have heard some people say, man, it's like a cult the way those people are with it. You know, the thing that's amazing about it and that's been so good for me is – I'm not that I, I, I'm not and I've never been that guy that just can go to the gym and motivate themselves to go do whatever workout it is they need to do. Um, I don't want to take the time to try and figure out uh, how to program for myself and what the programming is going to do and what the goals of the programming are. I don't want to have to try and figure that out. I have a job like you know selling real estate is what I do for a living and I love that but I want to spend my time and energy there and I need to stay healthy for my wife, for my kids, for myself, for my clients. And the thing that's been amazing about CrossFit for me is I show up, you know, at 9.30 in the morning or whatever time I'm there, but I normally try and hit that 9.30 class. I show up at 9.30. I didn't have to prepare at all other than putting my clothes on and driving there. When I show up there, our owners and coaches have establish not only a three-month cycle of what we're doing, but they know a six-month and a 12-month of what's our goals. Like, what are the big-picture goals? And the cool thing is they can cater that for a wide variety of people Mm -hmm. in one general area in terms of, you know, at 9.30 this morning, there was a whole random group of people on all different levels. Guy that's been crossfitting for five weeks, and I've been for five years, and people in between, you know, the better, more elite athletes and those that are just trying to stay slightly ahead of the curve and feeling good about their day-to-day life and staying healthy. And I don't have to think about it. I just show up and they have my schedule planned out for the day. And it's a group activity that, you know, yes, we're individually doing things, but we're doing them collectively as a group. So you there, you're Scott, are like, come on Dale let's do this and you're encouraging me and I'm encouraging you and we're sometimes partnering together and we're cheering each other on and for me that motivation and that accountability 
makes all the difference because I've tried, you know, going to, you know, Planet Fitness or 24 or one of these where I show up and I look around and it's like, I don't know what to do. Like, it's I can see the little display and tells me what I'm supposed to do, but it doesn't tell me how it's going to help me. And should I do this and this together or should I do that and that together? I don't know. I don't have to think about it. Now I just show up at CrossFit and they tell me what to do and whatever's on the schedule, I just do it. And I scale it as necessary for me. Um, you know, they got, you know, today we're, the prescribed weight was, was doing a 53 pound kettlebell with doing squats. And it's like, you know, I could push myself to do that, but I can also push myself to do all of it better at 35 pounds. So I'm doing a 35 pound kettlebell and some of the others are doing 53s and, and it's okay. And, and there's some that might be doing an 18 pound kettlebell. Well, everybody's getting an intense workout that's being scaled proportionately for their body, their body type, and their fitness level. Well, and that's what I like about, and I'm not done that. I do yoga. Which is tough in and of itself. But that's what I like about it is that uh, anybody can do it. And if you, you know, yeah, I mean, there's some classes I wouldn't recommend if you're an elderly person who might need chair yoga. Yeah. But there is chair yoga. Yeah. It's modifiable to all levels. To all levels, and that's what I love about it. And then there's that whole meditative part of it, learning to control your breathing. I was at work the other day, and I forgot. I I was doing something. My hand slipped. I dropped this part, and just and I just you know I'm just about to just get really frustrated with myself. And then I, first thing I did was I closed my eyes mm-hmm. and did my uh, sequential breathing: four in, four out. Yep. Four out, opened my eyes. I went back to put my stuff together. And the guy behind me, he goes, you like them yoga classes, don't you? <laughs> I said, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and you should be thankful I'm doing those yoga classes too because the other alternative is I'm throwing that right. at you. <laughs> right. I was just like, oh. Have you done hot yoga? I have not done that. Dude. It's also Berkram yoga, right? Bikram, yeah. Have right. you done it? Yeah. I did it when. I don't know if I'd want to do it. When I was doing 365 things to do, I didn't write about anything in town that I didn't do myself. Same way. And so I legitimately was like, I need to check out this hot yoga thing because I wanted to write about it. It seemed cool. So I signed up and I did, I think I did like a month long, um, you know, trial month or something like did that. Did you make it through the first one all the way? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I had to scale back because, yeah. you know, it's a 104 degrees in there and I couldn't even breathe, much less breathe and stretch. And my flexibility is like, I can see my toes. That's a good day. <laughs> Why do I need to touch them? <laughs> that's right. My toes are just fine. Without They're me just fine them. over there. <laughs> I don't need to molest my toes. Um, uh, but yeah, so I actually did a full month of the hot yoga and it was good. Like, I'm like, okay, this is, this was a good experience. I'm glad I did it. And I could write about it, you know, honestly to say, hey, this is really cool for people that like this. Um, it's not my thing. I much prefer the interactivity of uh, CrossFit. Like I also wanted to try, um, actually more recently, uh, Orange Theory. I have no clue what Orange Theory is. It's another circuit type programming. Okay. Um, but it's it's not as diverse as CrossFit and doesn't have as much heavyweight stuff. Going back to the testosterone conversation. Right. You don't really you do a lot of aerobic stuff, so you're doing a treadmill and a rowing machine, and then some small lightweight stuff in the middle. It can on paper, it's really a cool concept. I've got friends that do it and they love it. Um, and for me, it just didn't scratch the right 
itch. Like I need that really, it, it's sort of interactive, but not nearly as interactive as, uh, as CrossFit is. Right. And I need people. Well, and I'm <laughs> surprised, I, right? Right. One of the things I've been thinking about doing, and it just hasn't fit my schedule, is uh, jujitsu. Because mm. I wrestled in high school. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, in the Marine Corps, I had that. Uh, and my fitness goals, I, I don't want to be this great big pumped up guy. I don't want that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to be that really thin runner guy. I'd like to be the guy, not that I'm looking for a fight, but I'd like to be somewhat combat ready. Mm -hmm. So that if I, you know, something goes down, yeah. any, it, it, we started this conversation off talking about 9-11, anything yeah. can go down. Yep. If something goes down, I'd like to be, to your words earlier, be there for my family, my friends, my loved ones. Um, so that's my thing. Now, the yoga thing is helping me with a lot of that too. Um, and then, of course, living on the farm and picking up heavy stuff. And mm -hmm. that's... That's doing it. I could certainly do some more with my own kettlebell workouts. I can certainly do some more push-ups on my own. Yeah. Uh, I haven't done that. I mean, just that alone. When I got a I got a sledgehammer, so I can probably do a couple more sledgehammer workouts mm -hmm. and flip the tractor tire a little bit more. So I, I basically have my own CrossFit gym mm -hmm. at the farm. Yeah. That I I'm not doing for fun. I actually have to get it done because damn cows need fed. <laughs> but <laughs> cows. <laughs> right. You ever been around cows? Uh, not where I'm actually actively like <laughs> around cows. With them. Like I'm on the other side of the fence. So it'd probably be like people seeing you out there working with cattle is probably like people seeing me out there working with cattle. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, one of my friends is like, you're like Polly Shore meets Green Acres, dude. What the hell? Yeah, <laughs> totally. I see that. Curl your hair out a little bit, you'll be all over that. Right. My dad used to always be like, you need to put some shoes on because I'm out there in my flip flops. <laughs> Let me put some shoes on. Flip-flops is not proper cattle attire. I had one step on my foot. And that taught you that that's not proper cattle well, attire. Well, it did. And thankfully, though, uh, it was muddy. Of course, you know, when you're, when you're walking around where you feed the cows, there's a lot of mud and shit. Yep. And distinguishing the two isn't always easy after it's rained. And you're in flip-flops. And I'm in flip-flops. Dude. It wasn't the best decision-making process I went through, but the cow stepped on me and my foot sunk down, but still I couldn't get my foot out. Yeah. And so and I started. like, hey, Mr. Cow, could I'm you please. I'm pushing her, and yeah. I'm elbowing her, and I'm punching her, and, and she's, she's just. 2,000 pounds and doesn't really care. <laughs> doesn't care. <laughs> doesn't care at Chewing all. her cud. Life is good. She finally uh, <laughs> adjusted herself. Because, I mean, you'll sit there in that chair long enough and you'll adjust your feet. She finally adjusted herself and I got out. And now <laughs> I have a corral set up. I have a system set up in the corral where I can feed the cattle, go between where I keep the feed and their troughs, and them never enter the corral. Nice. So you're working smart. Right. And then I'll open the corral and let them in. Well, I'm getting out, and so I don't worry about them anymore. So, but I did that mainly because, well, I did that for me because if I'm down there feeding them, I don't want to deal with being in between these cows rushing in to get feed. But I also did it because I didn't want my dad to get run over or my mom to get run over if they were ever down there feeding the cows. Right. And so, we did that. But uh, the your 365 thing when you started that, and your other things, what. I've often told people, and nobody listens. Mm -mm. They nobody, never do. 
They never listen. It's like when I was in title and escrow and somebody asked about real estate advice or something, I'd tell them, okay, this is what you need to do. But no, their uncle who's sitting in a beanbag eating Cheetos watching uh, late hey. night TV has yep. better advice. Yeah, quarterback real estate. Right. And then they call me up like two months later. Well, no, we got to do this. Well, no, if you'd have done what I told you to do. You wouldn't be having this problem. You wouldn't be having this problem. But yeah. since you're smart, <laughs> <laughs> this is how much yeah. it's now going to cost you. Or the people who's never sold or bought real estate. Well, we're going to do for sale by owner. Okay. Knock yourself out. Call me when you're ready. <laughs> call, me, call me when you're ready. Uh, when you're ready to get your price where it's supposed to be. Right. They, they, and have a professional oversee the process for you. Well, and they would ask me because, uh, you know, I was part of that process. And, and mm -hmm. yeah, I can walk you through it and tell you what you need to do. Uh, but there's a reason somebody gets paid for that. So that I'm not doing it. It's a huge liability. It's a huge liability, and you're not going to listen to me. And there's things I I don't have the right to do on your behalf, where if you had a realtor, they could. Exactly. You need a realtor. Uh, now, I get it. If you've been in this business off and on, and you've, you've bought and sold real estate, and you've managed real estate, great. But, dude, you work a 40- to 50-hour-a-week job, let somebody whose job it is to do this, who has a team of people whose job it is to do this, yeah, do this for you. Uh but to your point, no, back to my point. Um, so you were writing and I was writing content and I was telling people how to market as a real estate agent and, or even as an escrow officer. I was telling people how to do this stuff, how to market, how to go out and do these things. And one in Portland one time, somebody said, aren't you afraid of telling this stuff to people because other people will take it and do it? No, I'm not. I taught classes in Vancouver. Right. While I was doing 365 things to do in Vancouver, I would go to other brokerages and teach speak them how to, to 50, do that. 60 people in their office, telling them verbatim what I was doing. I didn't hold out any secrets. I didn't hold out any secret sauce. I would literally share exactly what I was doing because I was doing it to make our community better and to encourage people to get out and support the businesses of our community. And I thought, you know what? If other people are doing it too, it's just better for our community. Right, and as a result, what you never did was you never said, oh, and I'm a realtor, come let me list your house. Mm. You never marketed yourself as a realtor when doing 365 things. Mm -mm. Now, it was on your real estate website. Yeah. It was there and then other areas like that that tied back, and if I wanted to dig deeper into you. Absolutely. I could find that. Yeah, the content was on a place that also happened to have homes for sale. That's right. And that's what I tell the, I've told people in Athens, I used to tell people here, look, if you want to market yourself via social media, don't tell me when your next open house is. Right. You, you have a passion. It might be something, you have something that you think about when you're not thinking about real estate. You have something yeah. that you think about when you're not thinking about selling insurance. You have something that you think about when you're not, and it could be you enjoy baking. Mm -hmm. You know, start talking about baking. And start doing it from your real estate platform, just like you did. Just start talking about something that has nothing to do with real estate, but something that you enjoy because you're bringing in a whole new demographic of people there. Mm -hmm. And it could be that you, you're a woman and you enjoy fashion. Start talking about the little boutiques you shop at, a little fashion, doing reviews. Do that. Yeah. Because uh, everybody gets the flyers in the mail. Everybody sees the ads. Do something different. And you're walking proof. I mean, it blew up. You're now, are you still the president for Washington? 
So I'm actually I'm I'm the president elect for the state of Washington Realtor Association. Right. Uh, so 2019, I will be the state president. This is the first time, uh, the first time we've had a president from this region since 1983. Wow. And, and only the you, third one in history. Do you attribute a lot of that to not just 365, but a lot of your involvement in social media? Completely. Yeah. Uh, I had. For, so I'm 24 years in the business now, and for the first 17 years, I just went to work and sold real estate each day. Like I and worked at the GIS office. And worked at the GIS office for eight years. Um, so I did. I just went to work. Like I just was selling real estate, and um, not just, but I was selling real estate. And uh, in 2007, I got on social media, and so I started meeting people from around the country, and. Towards the end of 2009, I was asked by somebody who worked for the National Association of Realtors if I would consider serving on a committee, and I thought I didn't know there were committees. All right. Like, I, I mean, I thought it was a place I paid dues to. I've been paying my dues for 17 years to the national, the state, and the local level because I just was like, well, that's what I'm supposed to do, but I don't really understand why. I don't understand what they do for me, but that was shame on me for not ever looking to see what they were doing for me, and so specifically as a result of being on social media um, and somebody I had planned a couple of events locally and we have a meeting and conference committee that plans our annual conference for the National Association and so I was asked at the end of 2009 if I would consider serving on this national committee in 2010 and I thought I didn't know that was a thing like they're doing stuff for us there's a conference like I just didn't know because I wasn't paying attention right head down selling real estate and uh and it seemed like a big deal, so I thought I better say yes. So I did. I said, yeah, I'll do that. And the next thing I knew, I was on a plane for an overnight trip to Chicago and sitting in a meeting with fellow realtors from all over the country. Oh, these are cool people. Like, I didn't know there were all these people out there. And, uh, and so I served on this meeting and conference committee in 2010. And as a result of that, our local area got wind of it because serving on a national committee it's usually a big deal. It, it, it's a big deal it usually takes if you it, know what the committee's about <laughs> it usually takes years of working at you know volunteering at the local level mm-hmm. moving into the state level and getting appointments to get hopefully on some kind of a national committee mm-hmm. well i completely skipped the entire local and state level and i all of a sudden serving here's this guy who's you know pays his dues every year but hasn't even stepped foot in a, in a meeting of any sort that happens locally. And all of a sudden, they're hearing that they have a local member who's serving on a national committee. And frankly, it was a committee that was pretty, is a pretty hard committee to get onto. Like, it's a small committee. It's it's not a huge one. And, uh, and so they reached out. They're like, hi there, who are you? And <laughs> would you like to serve locally? And I was like, oh, now you know who I am. Well, I... And it, you know, but the difference is the people at the national level had been following you on social media. Because of social media, they knew who I was because we were talking on Twitter, we were talking on Facebook, because I had met people that had similar passions and interests and enjoyed this new world of social media. You know, at that time, you remember this. There was a time, and it was years and years and years, where somebody'd say, "Hey, Scott, how much how much time per day do you spend on social media?" Right. And your head would kind of drop. Like it's a horrible thing. And, you know, your head would kind of drop and you'd start uh, hemming and hawing and you're already in your mind making excuses for the fact that I spent two hours a day on social media or whatever the number is. It doesn't matter. 
because it was like this shameful thing that how dare you and you flip that to now and our entire world is that space and people are marketing their businesses in there and they are growing their businesses in there and they are sharing their lives in there and it's become an acceptable thing but in 2006 for the early early adopters seven eight nine like those were early years that most people weren't doing it and most people weren't doing it very well so the local said would you serve and i was like sure and and then i started in the state did the same thing it's like we've got somebody serving nationally that's not been doing anything local or state they didn't level. go through us yeah and uh and so and they've been everybody was great and and so i i jumped in you know both feet and and my day-to-day job is still selling real estate. Like I love buyers in the car, like mm-hmm. out there helping somebody find their first home or the bigger home or whatever it is, um, helping sellers sell their houses. Like that's my day-to-day job. But part of the way I'm giving back to this industry, the association, our community and the country is through the volunteer side of the association. Um, cause we're constantly advocating. We're advocating for our buyers and our sellers. And so that's for our the industry. question. And what do you do for, I mean, now that you're in it, you're going to be the president of it. Mm-hmm. You got a young realtor out there and they're like, I'm paying my dues. Get involved. Like it's, you learn, you make, it makes yourself a better realtor. Like I learned so much interacting with people all over the country. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm learning a ton. I learn about our advocacy. I learn about the issues that affect us. Even like when you were working for the title company, when you were in mortgage, whatever it is you're doing, everything that happens real estate related, there's always people wanting to take away. You know, unfortunately, legislation, there's always something they're wanting, additional fees, additional taxes, additional restrictions to restrict our ability to buy and sell real estate. That basic fundamental, you know, tenet of, of do you think of it's their the wanting to take dream. away or do you think it's they're wanting to get a piece of the pie everybody wants a piece of the pie right. so they don't necessarily want they, they they wouldn't say they want to take the ability away but you know people are trying to find funding they're trying to find funding for other programs for other things and real estate becomes a target to it's an easy target how can we you know raise the excise tax how can we raise bno taxes how can we you know take away this how can we add more fees to the process whether you're platting or adjusting or building, like how can we take more dollars? A friend of mine posted, he's in Portland, and I, I don't remember who it was. If he listens to this, hey, just put on the comments. That was me. He posted, he hasn't even broke ground mm-hmm. in Portland, and he posted a picture of his permit. Shovel's not been in the dirt. Mm-hmm. $45,000. Yeah. Yeah. Even here in, even here locally. And we're talking about affordable housing. Yeah. And who do you, I mean, in this case, he's doing his permit himself, it sounds like, but Mm -hmm. even if he's not buying, not, if if somebody doesn't buy their own lot, build their own house, they go to the builder who's bought the lot and is building the house, that builder's got that same bill, and guess who pays that? Well, and on top of that same bill, he's got the overhead of doing that. Exactly. And the consumer pays for it. The consumer pays for all of those fees, all of those things, and we know that everything has to get funded and paid. Like... And we understand taxes are going to happen, but how can we best protect to make sure that we're not being excessive? You know, fair share is fine, but don't overly burden the real estate transaction in anything that's being done. And so that's part of what we do as is, is the Realtor Association is we are advocating for 
our consumers. We're advocating for our business. We're advocating for all of our affiliates, whether it's mortgage, escrow, you know, everything. Because we all work together in this ecosystem to make the entire transaction happen. And we want to try and keep, you know, affordability is one of our hugest issues right now. Lack of inventory and price affordability. And as I travel around the country and the state, I hear that no matter where I'm at. One of my things, and I just had the local association. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, I, w- I often wonder why they didn't work better with the affiliates. They treated the affiliates like, well, all we really want is your money. Don't have any say so in real estate, uh, or in what we think should be happening in government affairs, or what we, what you think should be happening with this legislation process. You were basically just a member in name, but you couldn't be an active member in the association. We fixed that. Good, because I'm sitting here thinking, okay, dumbass, I actually teach you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. There are people in my office that know more about real estate than you ever than, than you know. Yeah. Um, you're good at going out and getting buyers and sellers, and then you turn it over, and your mortgage guy does what they do. They know this lending business better than you. Yep. You need to let them speak. The title and escrow guys, they know a lot. I mean, I had attorneys, real estate attorneys, would call us up for advice you know i mean that's just how it went yeah and i'm not saying that we're smarter it's just you got people in fields of expertise so that's been fixed is what you're saying yeah we've actually created it's cool here in clark county we've actually created an affiliate council Mm -hmm. so we actually have a a, the affiliates meet themselves so that they can actually talk about the things that matter to the affiliates and how it uh, relates to the association we do have affiliates on the board Nice. Uh, so we are we are interacting with the affiliates to try and work together because we have to. Like I said, we're an entire ecosystem, and we have to make sure we're all working together to be able to to protect our industry and protect our consumer. You know, because buyers and sellers are transacting real estate. We want to make sure we're doing the best we can to protect them in that process. So where are you at on this theory? We've not had a major correction since two thousand eight. I think we are, I think right now we are starting to see uh, adjustments in the market. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're, I don't believe we're in the doom uh, that we were in 2007 going into 2008. I don't think we're going to see that. Uh, you know, that was, that's, you know, a generational kind of a thing. Um, but I would say that our inventory is, uh, is climbing. Our market time is growing. We're not nearly. So as you are seeing some. What is, could that be seasonal? It's or is a little it more seasonal. than seasonal? It, it's more than seasonal. Okay, because I know that there's a seasonal growth and there's seasonal climbs and stuff like yeah, that. But. It's more than seasonal because um, we we didn't see this last year at this season. We didn't see it the year before this season. So uh, we are seeing the the growth, the the price adjustments not happening as high. Um, you know, properties that I would have expected to sell at. You know, certain prices are not selling at those prices. They're actually selling less than that. It's taking longer to get them under contract. Um, I was just showing homes this Saturday to a buyer that um, they, you know, they were looking up to 450. They wanted to be under 400, but ultimately up to 450. And in a pretty specific area, we looked at 12 houses. Like 12 houses is unheard of six months ago. Mm-hmm. I would have shown them maybe two or three houses. So our inventory has definitely grown, and 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 we're seeing longer marketing times. Yeah, some of those are only in market three or four days when we went looking at them, but some of them have been sitting on the market for upwards of months. Okay. 
Yeah. I know in my area, and I'm not, um, I'm not in the real estate game in my area, but I, I am paying a little bit of attention to it. And uh, one of the top brokers there is, I don't say we're friends, we're good acquaintances. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the, the top lenders there, again, good acquaintances, and we sat down and had a pretty good conversation about it. But I, me looking at the prices for that area and knowing what the medium income is, the prices are a little higher than I think maybe they should be. I don't know if it, the, the supporting it. But the flip side of that, there's zero rentals. Available? Pretty much zero rentals available. Yeah, our rental market's been crazy. Right, and it's just hard. Um, I don't know how much time on market is. I'll have to ask Jeremy next time I see him. But he said in 2008 when it hit, and that was a nationwide crisis. Mm -hmm. Everybody always says, oh, real estate's regional. It wasn't in 2008. Yeah, that Uh, hit everybody. That hit Different levels. Right, different levels. There were some cities that didn't get hit as hard. But well, everybody got hit. Tennessee, in our area, real estate prices, I think he said, may have dropped 12%. Mm. So it wasn't that bad. I see, that's not that bad. No, but we one of our major manufacturers there is in the automotive industry. Um, they've never done a layoff in their history, uh, They but they did a huge buyout. Mm. Um, so, you know, when that, because it was hitting the credit markets, and so people can't get credit to buy cars they're not buying cars and so and there were other companies in the area because there's a lot of automotive in that area that didn't do a buyout they just did a flat out layoff Mm -hmm. and that's what i was trying to explain to him you can't just look at the problem that happened in 2008 as a real estate problem it wasn't yeah real estate was probably the, the 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 glaring example of what was going on but people were losing their jobs because of it that had nothing to do with real estate yeah uh, and I lost mine, but it had everything to do with real estate. Yeah. But, uh, you know, people in the automotive industry, people in a lot of these other service yeah, the industries. the economy was was just breakneck, breakneck growing. Right. And to your an point, I'm not level. seeing the same. And I'm not I'm not an economist. And Either I've never played one on TV. <laughs> right. No, thank you. Right. I've never done it. But I don't see exactly the same thing happening. I do see that prices are getting a little higher than what I probably think they should be. I do see and listen to you. Things are staying on market a little bit longer, so people are waiting. I'm not really sure where the credit markets are right now, but um, we'll see. We're starting to see more people having an easier time getting a loan, which Mm -hmm. is certainly now a... uh, red flag to those of us that lived through 2007 and 8 it's like oh let's be careful right you know, it's not quite breathe on the glass yeah we'll give you a loan so here's the thing though lessons learned from lessons you learned going through it as a realtor who went through it and you're still standing yeah what did you learn to prepare for the market shifts and adjustments uh it you know we I thankfully didn't have a lot of people that ended up defaulting and losing out on houses. Um, I partnered with, you know, great lender that tried not to do too much of the, uh, uh, and not intentionally ever, but extending people beyond what they really should extend. So, you know, really just watching out and protecting my consumer. And then on a personal level, you know, saving for a rainy day. Uh, You know, I think that most of the real estate industry had had such a good up, swing in the market for so long they were driving lexuses and hummers and i wasn't driving any of those even at that point you know the guys i'm talking about 
I know so many I know so many realtors that had investment houses and vehicles and boats and all of this stuff and they lost everything. Everything. And and some I mean, went to it, jail. Yeah, some went to jail. Mm-hmm. Um as they should have. Right. Um I have no not, problem with that. Yeah. But but just, you know, I think living within your means at all levels, you know, even if things are good, that's great. Still live within realistic means. And so that's on a personal level, something that I really took away from that was was doing that and making sure that that I am, you know, because it is a, a market that I can't control. Mm-hmm. You know, I can I can do what I can to connect with my, you know, friends and family and the people in my space. But if they end up not being able to do anything real estate related, that affects me. And uh, and so making sure that, you know, you're uh, saving for the rainy day. Right. Save for the rainy day. Live within your means. Now, <clears throat> I'm sure you don't have a problem with investment houses. Uh, mm-hmm. However, being smart about it, well, not absolutely. being too overextended on the investment houses yeah. or if, if best case scenario, own it outright and yeah. then then not worry about. I mean, that was I there was a builder. I left Stuart title in 2005 or six. This builder brought me over when we come in. And he was one of those, he builds a bunch of homes and they say, okay, these homes are for sale and we have a waiting list and within two days, mm-hmm. they're sold. Yeah, at that time, that's what was happening all over Vancouver. Right. And he wasn't one of the high, high-end ones. He was right there near the low price point, entry-level price point, and sell entire neighborhoods mm-hmm. at a time. I, about... Yeah, it was about 2006, getting toward the end of the summer. My sales were just dropping, dropping like a rock. And this was some of the most affordable real estate in Clark County. Yeah. And he was looking at buying another piece of land to develop. And I'm like, I don't think I'd do that, dude. I don't think I would do that because let's just sell what we got. Yeah. And, and, and well, this price is getting blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you, I just don't like where this is going. And I'm trying to tell him this, and he's not listening to me. Yeah. And then um, the houses hadn't sold, so he starts turning them into personal rentals. Mm-hmm. So now he starts his own rental management company. And um, he told me one day, he says, I've got enough money in the bank to keep everybody employed and run this business for two years. I said, and that's his, his lead construction guy, his sales yeah. guy, somebody else. I said, I get that you won't. Two years isn't enough, right? And you're not gonna do it. You're not gonna pay us, right, to sit here in the office and be your buddies for two years, exactly, until the market comes back, right? So, and, and it took more than two years. It took more than two years, and I got to worry about me. So I went back to the title company and uh, yeah. went back and worked there, and ended up went to Portland, worked in Portland during that time. And sure enough, I mean, he last I heard, he lost pretty, pretty much, much everything. Up. Yeah, yeah, he was overextended. Because two years was. wasn't enough. Yeah, it wasn't even close. No. No. It took almost two years to realize we were in it. Right. You know, to really, truly be like, wow, we are like in this and we're bottoming out. And then it's running the bottom for several years and then slowly starting to climb out. Right, but I think you're you're right. When I see, I think my daughter was getting into real estate and I talked to you a little bit about it before she did. And that was one of your things is... uh Put some money back. Always. Just always put some money back. Don't think that this is always going to happen because yeah. it may not. It didn't fit for her because uh, 
although she's she's friendly, she's not that not got that sales personality that go get them that you know it's just not her. Yeah. Now it's you not put for her, everybody. No, Levi could do it. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I think Levi could do it. Um, but uh, he got into sales doing cell phones. Yeah. And um, he called me up one day. He said, you know what I like about sales? I said, what? You were right. If I want to raise, I just got to sell more stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I said, we're, you know, when you were working at that other job, it didn't matter how hard you worked. You're not getting paid anymore. Yeah. So, uh, but now he's in a trade school. And he, Good for him. And he's uh, working as a server, which is just sales. Yeah. Uh, and it's just sales. You build that clientele. You do that. And he understands that mentality. Uh, daughter is not like that. Every kid's different. They're all different. And you raise them in the same damn house. It's weird. Isn't it's it? It's crazy. Yeah. You look at my two and like they're both amazing, but they're both very individual, very different. So what are your two up to now? I'm a grandfather. You know that, right? I knew that, but is it once or twice? Just one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Andrew and his wife had a little baby girl. Wait, wait. He got married? Andrew and his wife have a little baby girl. Nice. Well, you said wife. I should have paid attention. Yeah. I probably saw that, and I didn't pay attention. They didn't really post. It was weird. Like, for as much social media as the kids do, like, there's sometimes they just choose to not go online with everything, and they really didn't, like, blow up the world about all of this stuff. Yeah, they got married last year. And, uh, and, and then, um, she was born, uh, like right at almost seven weeks ago now. Right. It was close. Yeah. It was, it was, it was really soon. Cause I remember seeing those pictures and I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. So she, and she was super tiny. She was four pounds, four ounces. Oh my God. Um, but, but she yeah. gained weight now. I mean, oh yeah. She, she's grown like gangbusters. They um, live local. Yeah. They live in Vancouver. Cause less I thought I heard, I thought Andrew was in the Southeast someplace. Jillian went down to California. Right, but one of Levi's friends, and maybe I was thinking it was Andrew, was in the southeast uh-uh. or something. But uh, No, Andrew stayed local the whole time. Jillian did one year down in Orange, California. Okay. Um, but she's back up here now. She's in her senior year at Wazoo, Vancouver. Okay. And uh, she'll get, finish this year, and then she's got her master's degree. And in what? Uh, she wants to be a AP-level English teacher. So high school education, English. All right. Thankfully, she fell far from her dad's <laughs> <laughs> tree on that one <laughs> i always encourage the kids like yes please read books because i know it's important but i just it's, it's something i've always struggled with enjoying reading a book and both my kids you know loved reading books growing up so i was always thankful that that they did well i'll ask you some people always ask me so i'm gonna ask you uh, how old were they when they learned how to read oh man my answer is always Pre-kin- i don't know I, pre-kindergarten i don't know yeah, like they just always had a book. Yeah, they always had books. And, and I was either reading it to reading. them or they were flipping through it. And at some point they're reading. I don't know when they learned how to read. Yeah, I know that both kids were reading well before kindergarten. Right. Like actually reading books, like taking in a book and doing Comprehending that, it, comprehending being able to tell it. you what it says. That was because they went to, ch- I don't know if you remember Children's World of Music. Mm-mm. So it right on 7th, uh, right off of Chuklov, mm-hmm. uh, little church there, and they ran i don't think it's there anymore but for probably 20 30 years there was a program called children's world of music and it was a preschool pre-k kindergarten program so they had like the little ones and then they had like the pre-kindergarten kids and they had kindergarten and you could do that all there and they were a regular school but they focused on music in education 
and both kids went there and I don't think any kid came out of that school not reading before kindergarten like they just that was their thing is they education and using music in helping educate the kids it was a great program well uh, Becca was a stay-at-home mom and she played a lot of Def Leppard and Guns N' Roses and read to the kids so it's the same program nice. absolutely <laughs> absolutely <laughs> same program Beastie Boys just almost the, almost exactly the same because right. you gotta fight that's right. you're right it's a party man that's right uh, no I could not tell you when my kids learned how to read uh, one of the funniest stories was Kaylee was probably about two or three years old we were we were, we, we were living in Kentucky. Uh, we'd driven down to see my parents. And my grandfather was alive at the time. <clears throat> he was my last living uh, grandparent. And uh, Kaylee grabbed this book and she climbed up in his lap and she's like, Pap, I'll read to me. And she hands him a book and he says, Sis, I don't know how to read. Oh, wow. And he says, But I will tell you what I think the pictures are saying. And so. That's what he did. That's crazy. He went through this book just making up this story of what the pictures were saying. Yeah. And then he got done. He goes, the end. And he hands it to her. And she's okay, my turn. And she read him the story. (laughs) (laughs) And then she had another book. Okay, your turn. (laughs) That's awesome. It was one of the cutest things in the world uh, that they did that. So seven weeks old, boy, girl? Girl. Oh, wow. The baby girl. Yep. And uh, yeah, so she's doing great. She's growing. She's she's doing well. What's her Um, name? Harper, huh? Yeah, which I love. Like it as is soon a as cool the moment I heard that, I was like, I love that name. It's just, it's just got something special about it to me. And anybody I say the name to, they're like, I love that name. Like, it is a cool name. It's just, it's a cool name, and she's gonna be a cool little. Girl. I immediately started thinking about that song, Harper Valley PTA. Right? We're <laughs> dating ourselves when we do that. I don't know if anybody knows. The that kids song. are like, what? Harper Valley? Harper what? Valley, huh? Yeah, I thought, man, I wanted that mom. <laughs> yeah, and and Jillian is, uh, she's she's um, like not a server. She helps with like the catering service, but at um, uh, Warehouse Twenty Three. Yes, Warehouse Twenty Three, the old you know, red the old line red lane in at the key. Right. Um, so she's down there and going to school. And Andrew's uh, at Compass Coffee. He's been there for a couple years now. That's downtown. Downtown. Okay. Yeah, it's so funny because I, in fact, this was cool. Like a couple months ago, I was on a listing appointment, sitting down with this couple, and it was it was seven weeks ago because it was when uh, Andrew and his wife were going into the uh, hospital to get induced, and and so they were they were there and they were you know just watching progress, and so you know when I go on appointments, I don't usually have my phone sitting out, and she was like we were on baby watch right so i sat down with these clients or these to be clients and i said just so you know i don't normally leave my phone sitting up right on the table when i'm meeting with people i want to respect you and your time and i keep my technology away because my time is focused here but here's the circumstance my son and his wife are at the hospital and i'm expecting my first grandchild and if that phone rings or text from them comes in I'll come back and finish with you later, but I'm getting up and going to the hospital. And they <laughs> the were paper like, will be floating back down. <laughs> they were like, absolutely, we get it, we understand. Well, as we're going through the meeting and we're doing the paperwork and no messages come through, so all is good, um, we're wrapping everything up and we're talking and, and the gal says to me, she goes, she goes, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah. She goes, what's your son's name? Because I had said enough things during the meeting that it, right. it, it, it jostled her mind just a little bit. And I said, his name is Andrew. And I kid you not, she starts crying. She goes, I love your son. 
She goes, we go to Compass Coffee like every single day. And I absolutely adore your son. He is so special. And it is. It's an amazing feeling. And it's like, this is so cool. And I get that with both kids, which is just awesome. Um, But especially with Andrew right now working in a kind of that public place, like you said, that public sales sort of a thing. um, I interact with people all the time that are regulars at Compass Coffee. And they are oh, I love Andrew. He's so much fun. It's like, yeah, this is great. And he loves it. He, enjo- you know, he just, he enjoys the culture. He enjoys coffee. He enjoys understanding it and he knows a lot about it. And so we can talk. He's able to communicate well about the coffees and, and he just, he loves working with that and with the people. So it's fun. Levi likes working in the public too. And uh, I, I, even though the trade school is in welding uh-huh. and and he loves the art. He loves the art That's form cool. of welding. Um, but uh, he, he, when we were in Tennessee, he got a job. Well, he got a, an initial job working for the Y. They had a program that took food out to uh, underprivileged kids in different neighborhoods mm-hmm. in the rural area there. So he enjoyed doing that. And then he got a job at uh, one of the chain sit-down restaurants in town. They're not paying to be on here, so I'm not mentioning their name. So... <laughs> So <laughs> that's funny. So uh, he gets a job there, and it's it's one of those restaurants I don't go to a lot. Yeah, I just don't. Uh, I mean, the food's not going to kill me. That's my review. Yeah, <laughs> of the food. You know what I mean? That would not have made three hundred sixty-five things to do in Vancouver. It would not. There's I'd, a lot of places that I'd go, and I'm like, eh, it's mm. not. And they weren't paying. Nobody paid for it. But nobody paid it for had me. To be, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, nobody pays for mine. Everybody thought I made money off that. Like everybody, I'm sure, thought you made money off that. Nobody pays for mine. I mean, I had a couple of guys sometimes. I was like, hey, let me just give you a coffee or let me do something like that. I, I try to, I have a three no rule. Yeah. I try to say no, no. Okay, fine. I'm not going to be offensive to you. I'll take the gift. Yeah. Because it's not so much a gift to me. It's a gift to yourself to give this away. Yeah. So you got to learn to humble yourself and let people give you stuff sometimes. Yep. But it was never... A paid thing but I go into that restaurant to this day to this day uh, one of the servers or one of the bartenders come oh my god you're Levi's dad blah 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 how's he doing I'm like okay that's pretty cool that's kid awesome. was only here for about six months but he impacted he impacted some people and and he really enjoys what he's doing now um, it's good to know you like did something right with the kids right me or her, yeah. somebody did. Somebody somewhere. Or, you know, something rubbed off. Something rubbed off. You know, I mean, a broke clock's right twice a day, so hopefully even. <laughs> I love that line. Even he maybe figured out, I know what I don't want to be like, but <laughs> our kids used to have, was it you? Or I think you told me, or maybe I told you. I can't remember. Because we've, we've never sat down like this and had conversations. It's always just been quick over Twitter or text or something like that. But our kids used to have a, a tweet group. Well, they talked about stuff we said or did. Oh, yeah, they did. I forgot about that. <laughs> they did. You know, social media taking off when it did was just rough for the kids because, you know, you figure 10 years ago they were like they were 13 and 11. Right. And that's a rough time to have a dad who's, frankly, in a little bit of a spotlight in mm-hmm. their community. And they used to get embarrassed. Like, I remember I would be on field trips because – being in real estate, I got to be field trip dad. Right. You know, I was able to control my schedule 
to the point where I could actually interact and be part of you know the kids lives. growing up lives. And I was field trip dad. And especially with Jillian, some with Andrew, but mostly with Jillian. And um, she was in like the Excel program and they did all these special field trips. And I love participating. Um, but the kids would be like, that's your dad. Oh my goodness, that's amazing what he does. And da, 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 da. And they're like, oh no, 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 no. Because dad can't be cool. Right. Like, no matter no matter how cool your parent may or may not be, they it's, can't be cool. I am sitting in the living room one day. <laughs> I had this public access television show called Main Street Quiz. Yeah. It was on public access TV. Uh-huh. I'm sitting in the living room one day just watching TV. And Levi comes walking in. He's got his cell phone to his ear. He goes... <laughs> Are you on TV? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. So I flip over to where public access was. I'm like, well, yeah, I am. Look. <laughs> he pulls the phone back up. He goes, yes, it's him. <laughs> That's my dad. Drove him nuts. Drove yeah. them nuts. They, you know, junior high and high school both, they'd get, oh, I follow your dad's blog. Oh, I follow your dad's website. I'm friends with your dad's Facebook page. That's your not what so your kids Twitter? ever want to hear, ever. Right. Well, you've always been a persona. Like, you've always, you know, especially online, you've done, you know, some bigger uh, type stuff like that. And so mm-hmm. I'm sure that the kids that just drove, you know, it probably does. drove them nuts. It drives them, it drove them nuts. Kaylee didn't respond. It wasn't as vocal about it as Levi. Um, yeah. But, like, I did Grim. I did uh, Leverage. And, and you're was, lucky. I was extras on those, and yeah. I'm lucky. You're lucky, right? Van Tucky. Then I get into roller derby, and I start this lucky Van Tucky thing. And then, thankfully, they were both more adults by the time I the drag picture came out, <laughs> right? <laughs> so they that they had that going for them. It wasn't like I drove them to school and fishnets. So <laughs> the funny Good. story about that: I was talking to the girl I was living with time, and she said I was so mad at you for wearing that. I said, no, 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 you aren't. You actually helped put that ensemble together. We went to roller derby. I went to roller derby. I met you at the after party because she's not a sports girl. Yeah. I, I met you at the after party. We had a great time at the after party. We got home. We got to the front door. You turned around. You kissed me. And you said the exact following. I love you. I've had so much fun tonight. Go take that off. It just got weird. <laughs> I said so. Up until that point, up until the time where it got weird, you were good with it. You were good with it, but once it got weird, you were like, "No." <laughs> That's funny. So yeah, I know that one picture of me though, when I'm going and my hands are up in the air. That event, it was the Rocky Horror Picture Show's the theme of the roller derby bout, and that event, what they a all, perfect blending of two worlds, right? Rocky perfect Horror and, and roller, roller derby. derby. Oh, that's beautiful. It's beautiful, and so. Every roller derby bow, they sponsor some sort of charity. So that's just what they do. And this one was going to sponsor a women's shelter. And so they were asking for new uh, panties and socks or slightly used bras. Yeah. And they were asking for that. So er- when you brought that in, like you brought in a package of panties or a pair of socks, package of socks or some, slightly, or some slightly used bras, they gave you a free raffle ticket. Yeah. And our raffle baskets could be $250, dollars $500. Depend nice. on depend on who donated what. Yeah, right. And <clears throat> so that's what the deal was. Well, it's getting around halftime, and they said, "Okay, we want you to tell the women in the audience if you give us the bra you're wearing, we'll give you ten raffle tickets." So that picture was taken while I'm walking around collecting bras from women in the audience. 
and they're giving him. They're pulling him off and throwing him out there. Yeah, yeah, crazy. But it's a different community, though. Um, you know, you were talking about that CrossFit community, and I was thinking about. It reminds me a lot of roller derby. The thing I like about roller derby, especially for women, is it reaches a, uh, and not all, but it does certainly reach a subset of women who don't normally have that group to go to. Mm-hmm. They weren't the cheerleaders. They weren't the volleyball players. Right. They didn't date the quarterbacks. Right. They might have had an alternative life or they might have been gay or lesbian. They didn't have that group. And then you get into roller derby and you find these women who are not only in that group, but you got women who are doctors and attorneys. Yep. And and in no other world would these women be friends. Yeah. And then but they, they're tight there. They're tight. It's sisters. Like it's sisterhood. It's what's and and the thing is you could be a woman who's way out of shape. Yeah. You come in there to roller derby, they will stick with you as long as you'll stick with them. Yeah. And it might take you weeks and to And they'll out protect you. Right. Fiercely. They'll protect you fiercely. They and they won't let you move on to that next level until they know you can go on to that next level. But they won't say, Well, you're not making it, go home. Right. And I've seen girls skate for a year or two and never make it to the level where they could bout, but they treated them just like Yep. And it's a different community. Uh, I was telling a pastor friend of mine's wife, she was doing a lot of women's groups, and I said, You wanna know how a women's group should run? Go roller derby. Go check this roller derby group out. That's cool. And uh, and I and I said before you go though, you need to understand. Don't go in there thinking you're going to evangelize them. Don't go in there saying well they're not Christians or this and they support that. Go in there and see what they're doing right. Mm-hmm. Community. It's total community. Yeah. And uh, I was traveling with them to Astoria, Oregon, one time, and uh, they said, hey, we got your hotel room. Uh, we need a, their announcers brand new. Will you go and and be an announcer there and I said sure it's a free trip to Astoria why not they got me a hotel room the hotel room was me and it was it was these full size beds that were built into bunk beds and there was three of those in there and <laughs> like two pull out couches so it was me and like 12 roller derby girls nice in this hotel room <laughs> that's crazy right Anyways, I'm going. My mother's all concerned she said well I know you can go to the after party and you don't know that bar so you be careful you don't know those people <laughs> Mom, I'm with Smack You Sideways. Uh-huh. I'm with, <laughs> I'm with Corner Skater. I'm with, uh, I'm with 30 Derby girls that are... I'm Smack You, that's Shannon, right? Yeah. You know Smack? I know Shannon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so... Uh, I grew up with her. I've known her family since I was like five years she old. She is an amazing soul. Yes. Oh, absolutely. She's an amazing absolutely. soul. And she is very... Uh, I, don't get me wrong. She's very intimidating. She is very aggressive. She is very kind and sweet and loving. Yeah. And so if you just look at the outside of Smack and you're just like, oh, oh. shit. <laughs> but you get the nose Smack, you're like, oh. Yeah. And that's her whole family. Yeah. Her whole family, like, yeah, I graduated with one of her sisters and grew up, I mean, literally from the time I was five. So for 43 years, I've been part of that family or they've been, you know, in our world together. Oh, she's great. I haven't seen her. She was with Rose City. No, no, she started with Rose City. That's where she got her fame. She was actually sponsored by Rydell for a while. Wow. Um, she was traveling. I think she did some international traveling where she was actually coaching some other teams, wow. going over there, to- teaching them some stuff. I mean, she's she's full-on, legit roller derby legend Yeah. stuff. That's awesome. Um, then uh, she came over to Storm City, 
and skated with us for a while. And um, matter of fact, she's one of the reasons I got the gig with That's Storm cool. City. Because when I rolled in there, they were practicing. What was that skating? Rolled rink? in there. Yeah. <laughs> when uh, uh, I went to the first practice, I messaged them, hey, this is who I am. I'm Lucky Van Tucky. I was an announcer at Portland. Blah, blah, blah. I'd like to, if you guys don't have an announcer, I'd like to talk to you about being an announcer for Storm City. I get the, you know, thank you. We're talking to some people type message, but come on out and come to practice and we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Get that email. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. So I go out there. Well, there's Smack. There's Micro Bruiser and White Flight and somebody else that had been part of the Rose City Rollers when I was over there. And they're like, Lucky. And so, you know, I'm talking that to helps. them. And that, that helped. And so then uh, the girl come up that sent me the email later before practice was over. She says, okay, it's yours. I said, what's mine? She said, you can have the head announcer gig. They vouched for you. You've got it. Awesome. Sweet. <laughs> and I'm moving to Tennessee. Well, no, I did two years. Yeah. I did two years. So, uh, and but then I'm moving to Tennessee. Then I'm moving to Tennessee. And I did reach out to Chattanooga Roller Girls and the Knoxville Roller Girls, but they both got – announcers already in place and stuff so I'll, every now and again i'll ping them see what's going on but it's a it's a fun have you been to roller derby bomb we keep talking about going i mean i've watched it on tv but i've never actually been face to saturday face. night ridgefield i know I, we we our schedules have been so crazy like just crazy um but we keep my wife and i keep talking about it stephanie's like i really want to go check this thing out i'm like yes you should get stephanie in it yeah i don't think she's gonna I don't think she's wanting to go. I don't think she's wanting to uh, be a roller derby girl. That'd be pretty cool, though. Uh, no, you want to do it. Go get her in it. I'll get her an audition. <laughs> get her on some skates. Oh, that's funny. So is Stephanie from here? She's from Seattle. Okay, so how'd you guys meet? Boy, we uh, first didn't meet on social media. Actually, we first didn't meet at a real estate conference. Oh, you did not? We did not first meet at a real estate conference. Okay. So I was actually speaking at a conference about social media and she was attending the conference and, um, and we ended up getting tagged in photos mm -hmm. by mutual people that were friends. And like in the early days of social media, that's how you're meeting people. Like mm -hmm. that's how you would interact is you'd get tagged in something and it's like, who's this Bridwell guy? Like yeah. click profile. Oh, I should be following this person. Follow asked to be a friend, whatever the network you're on. And uh, so we actually first uh, were tagged in photos together, but we didn't actually meet. Um, and then we ended up meeting at a different point, you know, where we actually met face to face. She was a realtor in Seattle. I was a realtor down here. So um, we ended up just meeting through that, through the technology, social media, real estate space. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And eventually, down the road we ended up starting to date and uh, we dated long distance for a while her Ugh. in seattle me down here so we burned up the uh, road between like chehalis and trillia like rochester like that whole middle between seattle and here like hey you want to have dinner sure so we drive to centralia we'd have dinner in centralia see you later bye and we'd each go home i said uh but the, the i've thought about the long distance dating um and the benefit i like about it is I don't have to be there. <laughs> when you you're know? starting dating, yeah, I get that. But 
as as you're going, wow, as it starts I getting really deeper, deeper, care about this person. More. I want to spend more time right. with this person. I want to spend my life with this person. And as you're having those interactions, that's when you start having those conversations about like, you know, would you consider coming to Vancouver? And she actually rented a place for my parents when she finally moved down here. And, uh, and it was a big deal for her leaving the Seattle area because oh, yeah. that's all she'd ever known. Her business was there. She'd been doing that for almost 10 years at that point, selling real estate. And uh, so anyway, she finally came down here. And then I actually, I proposed to her at a real estate conference in Nashville. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. If you actually YouTube, if you were to just YouTube Dale Chumbly engagement, uh, it will come up and you can watch me proposing to her at a real estate bar camp in Nashville. There's 400 people in the audience and totally shocked her. She had no idea that was happening. And uh, so, yeah, so, um, and she now, she she's actually in the title industry now. Oh, really? Yeah, so she um, she's a Chicago title okay. of Oregon. And so, because as you know, in Washington, you can't teach technology as a title company to realtors. Okay. You know, you can teach the... Marketing, I can teach. You can teach certain components of marketing. You can teach title and escrow. Right. The services that you're doing. Well, in Oregon, thankfully, she's able to um, go beyond just that scope. She's able to teach outside of just that tight-knit parameter. So she's able to teach technology. So she's the director of new media and education, um, and she loves it. So she's still connected to the industry. She's still part of the real estate world, but she you know, doesn't have the evenings and weekends that us in the trenches well, get that to do. was one of the things that when i was an escrow officer in oregon there's a lot different but um yeah when i was an escrow officer in oregon i did my own marketing so my sales guys loved me yeah because i got out from behind the desk and i went out and i gripped and grinned and pressed the flesh and did all that uh, as you should because as i should and i would teach my own classes so i would yeah find out oh yeah they need these classes well i'd put together a class and i go teach it to a real estate group uh now to do that you have to have an amazing assistant mm -hmm. you have to have an amazing assistant and i was very fortunate that i had assistants that i could rely upon um but i would go out and do my own do my own marketing like that and i did enjoy that's one of the things i miss not only about being entitled in escrow uh but you know being like when I used to be in the ministry, I enjoy the teaching aspect. I, there's something about yeah. teaching people who want to learn. Yeah. I, I, I would never want to do what Jillian's going to do. No. No. I'm so thankful. I mean, I actually was, I went to school to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. And I actually joke that I went to school to be an elementary school teacher. And for a career, I am basically like an elementary school teacher because I re-explain the same processes over and over again. Right. Transaction after transaction, person after person, you know, every, it, it's, it's education because most people don't buy and sell real estate on a regular basis. You've got your investors that you work with that they understand that a little bit more, but a lot of the people are, they've never sold a house before or they've never bought a house before. And even if, you know, I, I bought a house 10 years ago, but I've never sold one. So you're going back to basics and it's fundamental steps one two three here's what we're going to and do even back to buying a house so you bought a house 10 years ago completely different process now especially the last 10 years right and so i'm constantly educating that's part of my day-to-day -day job is an educator mm -hmm. um so i went to go into be el an elementary school teacher and i'd never I, I didn't pursue that as a career but i still ended up in education 
So do you ever take crayons when you, with you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I do most everything digitally now. I try and avoid pens and, and paper as much as I possibly can. Well, it's funny you mention that because 2006, 2007, about, well, really about 2005 or so, the title company I was with was going paperless. Yeah. And they were going with uh, the, the software program was called SureClose. And mm-hmm. we were going with that. And I adopted it right away. Yeah. And I was going to be out of my office one day and another escrow officer was covering my desk and I get this phone call. Uh, she said, where's your files? Said, what do you mean, where's my files? And she said, well, I'm looking for this file, you know, the Chumbly file, and it's just an empty file folder. I said, well, it's because it's all in sure clothes. Huh? <laughs> yeah. She said, well, what about your paperwork? I don't need any paperwork all right now. All in sure clothes. <laughs> it's all in sure clothes. And it blew her away because you go in her office and it's just stacks of stacks paper. of uh, paper and manila folders. Yep. And I walked in there one day looking for one of her files. And I just literally threw my hand up. I was like, no, I'm there's not no covering search feature. Yeah, there's no search feature. Where's the search <laughs> bar? Chumbly. Where is it? And I told her I'm not it's covering your desk. In that pile over there, about halfway down. Right. I said, I am not covering your desk anymore. Yeah. Put it in the sure clothes. And that I can navigate, and um, but I I went paper. Matter of fact, my folder when you came in with your clients, here's all the documents I need to sign. When after your clients left, if I didn't have another signing right away within an hour, it was back down to an empty folder because everything that had to be recorded was going to the courthouse. Yep, and everything that didn't have to be recorded was scanned. scanned. And emailed to the lender. Yep. It was going to get emailed to the lender. And archived wherever you needed to archive it. Right. rest of it went in the shredder. Yeah. And I loved it. And they just never, not they, but that one just not didn't everybody's, it. Not everybody embraces technology at the same pace. They don't. And uh, we're going through a thing where I work now where uh, there's a big change in the way we do something. And... It's one of those, I was talking to somebody the other day, I said, everybody wants change until they get it, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. once you get it, you're like, well, why are we changing this? But if it doesn't change, well, we're doing the same stupid thing over and over and over. Well, now they're trying to do a different stupid thing. So let's just work through it. That's how it is. Now, you've got a survival story. We've never really talked much about that. How many years free? 20 years. 20 years. And that was just recently, wasn't it? Yeah, July 23rd was my 20-year cancerversary. Cancerversary. Yeah. So, um, yeah, 1997, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, which is a lymphatic cancer. That doesn't sound good. No, it's not a good. I mean, I mean, when I say lot, it doesn't sound good, there's a lot worse good. cancers to have if there's such thing as worse cancers. See, I, I would thought that was one of the worst ones. I think when they put a name to it, I think that must be one of the worst ones. Like you're not coming back from this. They, I mean. I remember the oncologist saying that if you, you know, if you had to pick a list of cancers to get, this one's not one of the worst ones to get. Okay. But that being said, you know, staging for Hodgkin's was anywhere from a 1A to a 4B, and 1A being the least and 4B being the most, and uh, I did it right. I was a 4B. Okay. So, so statistically, it's like, well, it's not one of the worst ones to get, but it's still cancer. Right. Still got and that C word at You're 27 years old, and... I mean, I was 27 years old with a two-year-old and a two-month-old uh-huh. being diagnosed. So, so. W- what made you go in and get checked? What was going on? I'd been sick most of the year. Um, it was actually kind of weird because 
my symptoms were not typical of Hodgkin's and manifestation of what Hodgkin's would normally present as. I was having a really dry, non-productive cough for months, started back in like April, and I just kept going to the doctor over and over because they couldn't figure it out. They'd try me on prednisone, they'd try me on this, they'd try me on that, and it wouldn't go away, I couldn't get better. And, uh, and they kept running tests and trying other things, running more tests, trying other things, and progressively my cough got to the point where I was basically choking. Oh my. Um, so on Halloween of that year, Halloween of 97, was my last official day at work at the county um, before I couldn't go back to work at the time um, because my throat, it would choke me down to where I couldn't breathe and I was suffocating. And uh, so we got, got everything fast-tracked. It's like we've got to figure out what's wrong because this not breathing thing doesn't really work well. Not for a long time. And, and about a week before Thanksgiving is when I was finally diagnosed. Uh, and we had, had a test that I had done actually a couple months earlier was a lung x-ray and they sent it finally to this lung specialist, and uh, Dr. Frankel was his name. I, they sent this test over to him down at Kaiser, and uh, and he looked at it and he said, you know, there's just a there's a slight shadow here that that doesn't really stand out as super abnormal, but it shouldn't really be there. And so he ordered a CAT scan and took did, went in and did a CAT scan, and I lit the thing up like a Christmas tree. Um, so yeah, that so was, one doctor paying attention to one small detail, yeah, saved your life. Yeah, yeah, because it was not getting any better on its own, and uh, so I, beginning of December, was in for surgery. They thought they were gonna have to remove the top right half of my right lung. Um, ended up not having to do that because it ended up discovering that the cancer in my lung had grown together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was in for surgery, started chemotherapy, and nine months of chemotherapy and uh, a lot of prayers and a lot of uh, great medical care and family care. Um, thankfully, I was able to come out on the other side clean. Uh, thankfully, never have relapsed from that. And uh, that was my last chemo was was July 23rd, 2018. And so I just celebrated my 20-year uh, cancer-free anniversary, wow. which is huge. So it's amazing because I remember when I was diagnosed thinking, I may not see my, like Andrew, like I said, Andrew was two, Jillian was two months old. And looking at these kids going, I may not see my kids go to kindergarten. I mean, that was my, that was the first thought that really went through my head with my kids was, I'm gonna miss kindergarten. Like something that you don't think about with your kids. Like you right, just- Right, it's never a possibility. It's never one of those things you think, oh, I mean, that's just an assumption. Yeah. I, I just assume I'm gonna see my kids yeah. kindergarten. come home with like, you don't macaroni even, art. Yeah. From kindergarten exactly and so um for me like them each finishing kindergarten was hugely emotional for me because i didn't think it was going to happen and then every year's been a monument and to get to see andrew graduate from high school and then jillian graduate from high school and now andrew and his wife and having this baby girl and it's like i'm a grandfather like how crazy cool is that and to think that 20 years ago the thought of even seeing my kids go to kindergarten was such a foreign, like I didn't, I couldn't imagine like not seeing it, but then fearing that I wasn't going to get to see it. So 